With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. edition of the Backland Report presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres and every week I'm alongside my co-host Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? I'm excited. Uh, welcome to the Valentine's Day edition of Back Nine Report. We love everyone, especially golfers, Carlos. You know what? I did not miss football one little bit last weekend. There were six professional tournaments around the world, and that was plenty of golf to keep me on the couch. Plus, I needed last weekend to rest up, as I'm going to be very busy this coming weekend with the Toledo Golf Show. Hey, Tiger Woods says he won't play the next two events, and we can only guess when and if we will see him again. Scotty McCarron picked up his third Champions Tour win at the Allianz, and George Spieth got back to the winter circles of Pebble Beach. We got a lot of golf to talk about, Carlos. Let's go. We have a lot to talk about, and we also have on our practice venture, since our main topic for today is going to be about golf philanthropy. So you don't want to miss that. We have also an interview with Jim Nugent that's going to set up our topic for today. And also at the end of the program, during our final pods, there's also an interview from Fred with Dick Gray, but hey, he'll tell you everything about it as we reach that. But as usual, we're going to begin with our weekend backspin, which is when we recap the, the weekend's action around the major tours. And Fred, you said it, Jordan Spieth is back. Is back on the winter circle, and you have all the information about it. Well, bad weather early in the week gave way for a cool but beautiful Northern California day on Sunday for the final round of the AT&T National Pro-Am at Temple Beach. Jordan Spieth took a commanding lead in the final round and displayed a routine like 69 who went by four shots over sole runner-up Kelly Kraft. For Kraft, it was his best finish by far on the PGA Tour, and it earned him a spot in this week's Genesis Open in Los Angeles. Spieth was very comfortable on the Poliana Greens of Pebble. He was leaving himself stress feet tap-ins for par putts. When you're the best long putter in the game and you hit nearly 90% of the greens for the week at Pebble Beach, you're going to win, and that's exactly what Spieth did during his ninth career PGA Tour title, just one month older than Tiger Woods did it. 
An interesting side note to the AT&T National, Spieth is the seventh player in his 20s to win on tour this season. And that, that accounts for 10 wins, comparing to one win by a player in his 30s, who was Brendan Steele, and two wins by players in their 40s, Rod Pampling and Pat Perez. So the PGA Tour's got a LPGA kind of theme going where the younger younger guys are winning. Dustin Johnson had another solid week coming in third, one shot of ahead of Brent Snedeker, who was in the final group with speed but could only manage nine straight pars in the back line to finish fourth. Carlos, my question to you is, does this impressive win make Jordan Spieth the current favorite heading to the Masters, or is it way too early for that idea? I don't think it's too early to say that he might be at least one of the favorites. I mean, uh, this was, like you mentioned, his ninth PGA Tour title, and, and he has been a little hot lately. I mean, he has been hitting the top tens in his past uh, five outing, so I would say he's hitting the right gear at the right time as the Masters approaches, and we all know what he's capable of uh, at playing there at Augusta, so definitely he's got to be one of the favorites, especially since he's playing so good lately. Hey, but let's talk a little bit about the European Tour where Fabrizio Senotti, he began the final round of the Maybank Championship at the Sahuana Golf and Country Club in Malaysia, six shots off the lead that was held by Masters champion Danny Willett, but a closing 63 was enough for the Paraguayan to claim a second European Tour victory. Senotti, he began his charge on the front nine with birdies on the third, fifth, sixth, and eighth holes. Despite turning in 32, Victory still seemed unlikely for the 33-year-old as those in the groups behind were also playing some great golf. David Lipsky of the U.S. in particular, as he reeled off four straight birdies from the 10. But Sanotti, hey, he kept his foot to the floor on the run for home. He made gains at the 13th, 15th, and 17th holes. He then played two great shots on the par 5, 18th, and rolled home a 15-foot putt for eagle, that set the clubhouse total of 19 under that nobody following was able to match, and he was the champion. This was Fabrizio Sanotti's second European Tour triumph following the 2014 BMW International Open. That win represented quite a turnaround in form for the Paraguayan. He came into the tournament having missed three straight cuts in the Middle East. Hey, it's good to see Danny Willett playing well again. He began the final day at Sahuana with a three-shot lead, but he struggled to find his form over the closing 18 holes. The Englishman dropped five shots in a round of 73 and ended the week in a tie for fifth with China's Li Haotong. Also, it was a good week for David Lipsky, like I mentioned, from the U.S. as he secured his place in the WGC Mexico Championship. That will be at the start of March. The American closed with a 67 to claim second place on his own. He had a chance to catch Sanotti, but was unable to birdie the par five last. Other notable finishes there, Bernd Wiesberg uh, finished third on um, solo third. Alex Levy from France was there in uh, solo fourth. Danny Willett, like I mentioned, with Lee Haotong there, tie fifth. And Ivan Lahiri was at T7th. Some notables that missed the cut were Charles Schwartzel and Victor Dewey-Sanford. 
Yeah, um, I didn't see much of the European tour, so I can't I can't really comment on it. Uh, I just know that um, Carlos Franco was watching his buddy Zanotti win. Uh, evidently, they're good friends. So, hey, um, the Champions Tour got fired up again this week. Uh, Scotty McCarron made two eagles in the final round, 67, to capture his third career Champions Tour win. He made an eagle, two on the par five seventh hole, and then added another at the final hole for his third eagle of the week to seal the win. <clears throat> Kenny Perry and Carlos Franco were already in the clubhouse at 16-under when McCarron made bogey at the 17th to fall one shot behind to 15-under par. There if they can play off, Kenny Perry even took to the range to keep loose. Well, Carlos Franco, he just sat around out of beer. He's always loose. But the short par 5-18th was next for McCarron, and just what the doctor ordered he, his 18 placed only a 507 yards. It's just a long par four by modern standards. McCarron needed a birdie to join a three-man playoff or an eagle to win outright. After an ideal drive, he struck a perfect seven iron from 179 yards to six feet and drained the winning putt. It was a birdie and eagle fest all week at Broken Sound at Boca de Raton, Florida, but even more so on Sunday. The top 11 on the final leaderboard all posted scores in the 60s. And they were highlighted by a pair of 64s by Kevin Sutherland and Paul Broadhurst. In 20 years on the PGA Tour, McCarron recorded three wins. He posted two wins in his first season on the Champions Tour last year and added his third this year. Fred Pretty Couples got in another good week, finishing T6 along with Colin Montgomery. Hey, I got, a, I got somebody you can watch for next week, Carlos. Um... Bernhard Langer finished T37 for a rare, rare off week for the four-time Charles Schaub Cup winner. So you'll have a little heat. I mean, I look for him to have a real high finish this week at the Chubb. You mean that you have? we have to watch for Bernhard Langer next week? I think so. I think he's going to be a little heated up. He didn't play well this week. So, you know, you know what happens when he misses the top ten? He comes back with a win. I don't know. I, I think something's broken with him because of T37. Something. Did you read well? I mean, T37. <laughs> I know that's unusual. That is, and plus, it's like a home game for him too. So. Yeah, I mean, something, something must have been off there. I don't know. Maybe he didn't brought brought his clubs, or maybe he's wearing something. I don't know. We'll see. But he was upset least. about he was upset about Donald Trump giving misinformation about him. Ah, that's that's it. That's it. That's it. It's just gonna be great. Don't worry about that. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be good. Hey, for Ethan Tracy, the right shot at the right time helped him score his first Web.com tour win at the Club Columbia Championship on Sunday. Tracy was about 100 yards, 101 to be exact, from the whole location on the 18th hole at the Bogota Country Club in the final hole of regulation. At the time, Tracy had an idea that he could still win the tournament if he pulled off an unlikely holdout on the closing par five. He took that aim and produced an incredible result. As it turned out, that eagle three was enough to reach 13 under total and land him in a playoff with Mexico's Roberto Diaz. 
Tracy also birdied the par 4, 17th in a closing 6 under 65. At the Bogotá Country Club, Diaz from Mexico had birdied the 16th and 18th for a 64. They both finished at 13 under 271. You know, then the winner laid up with a 7 iron to set up that tying wedge. It was an incredible shot. I see the video and it's incredible. Tracy, who played on the closing hole, 5 under for the tournament, then went into extra holes with Diaz. Both made par the first time around, but Tracy was able to sink a 20-foot birdie pot on the par 5 second playoff hole to pick up the win and just his fourth web.com tour start. You know where he, where you, do you know where Ethan Tracy is from? Fred? Where is he from? Fred? Where, where is he from? Hello, Fred. Yeah, can you hear me? Seems like I lost Fred for a moment. Hey, I'll he's call, from I'll Ohio. Call back in. I it. He's from Ohio. So there you have it. I admitted it. He's from Ohio, native Ohio. <laughs> and he, this is likely a ticket to the PGA Tour, which is quite a turnaround uh, from missing the cut in the first two events of the season in the Bahamas. The 27-year-old former, former Arkansas player earned $126,000 so Fred Brandon Harkins with a 70 and Alex Kang with 66 tied for third at 12 under and Andrew Putnam was another stroke back. What a way to get your first win, hold out to force a playoff, and then a long birdie putt on the second playoff hole. Wow, what a way to win it. Fred, are you there? Seems like Fred, we have, there he is. Uh, I believe Fred is back now. Fred. Are you there? You you hit the mute button on me. You turned me off. <laughs> you still there? Carlos. Now I've lost you. Okay. Hello? Fred, are am you I there? there? Yeah, I am. Yes, yeah. Fred. Now yes. you are. Yes. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can hear you. <laughs> what did you do? You muted where, me. Where, where, where did you get dropped? <laughs> so well, we I heard you say out. Ethan Tracy. I was talking. You said Ethan Tracy was from Ohio, um, and I and I didn't right. pay attention to that. So great. Where's he from in Ohio? Where where at? I don't know, you know exactly from Ohio, but I were in Ohio, but I know that Ethan. He's from Ohio, so yes, I am admitting that Ethan Tracy is from there. You know that you always say that Ohio, especially Toledo, right? And, and he's is. from Columbus, Ohio, just so you know. Okay. And he's I'll have to check University. that out. Yeah, no, he is. I, I just checked that out. It's, he's 27-year-olds from Columbus, Ohio, so there you have it. And another pl- pl- player from Ohio, huh? Yeah, we're loaded so, with them. We got them up here, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, there were uh, there were two other international professional tournaments, uh, one in the Australasia Tour, as well as one on the Sunshine Tour. In the Australasia, Dimitrios Papadatos, a 25-year-old from Australia, ranked 986th in the world. He's going to be moving up. Posted minus 16 to win by two shots in the Oats Vic Open and collected second Australasian Tour win. On the Sunshine Tour, Eric Von Ruin, 
get his approach to inside a foot on the first hole of a three-way playoff on Sunday for a tap-in birdie and the victory at the IFF PGA Championship in Johannesburg. The victory was his first on the Sunshine Tour, which stretches back to 2013 when he first earned his card. Von Ruin hopes his good play will continue over the next couple of weeks as the European Tour co-sanctions the next three events, the Dimension Data Pro-Am, the Joburg Open, and the Schwanee Open, which gives him a chance of playing his way onto the European Tour, Carlos. That's all I have for the backspin. And with that, we'll wrap up our weekend backswing. Now we're going to take our first short break. When we come back, we're going to have the Part 5 News. So you don't want to go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. This year on the U.S., Tiger shot is 76-72, missed the cut uh, at Torrey Pines, a course that he previously won eight PGA Tour events, including a U.S. Open on. Um, he next flew to Dubai, played poorly, posted an unexcited 77, and withdrew prior to his second round due to the back spasms. He was scheduled to tee it up this week at the Genesis Open in L.A. and again next week in Florida at the Honda Classic, but he announced that he has been forced to withdraw from both events. So far, his highly anticipated return to competitive golf is not going according to plan. He said on his website, my doctors have advised me not to play the next two weeks to continue my treatment and to let my back calm down. This is not what I was hoping for or expecting. I am extremely disappointed to miss the Genesis Open, a tournament that benefits my foundation and the Honda Classic, my hometown event. I would like to thank Genesis for their support, and I know we will have an outstanding week. Carlos, we all want to see Tiger Woods play and compete in professional golf. It would be okay if he could just make some cuts and maybe post a top ten once in a while, but this is torture for golf fans, and I'm sure is most unsettling to Tiger himself. You know, Donnie Pepper wrote a piece for ESPN this week, and in it she talks about the time she was paired with tennis star Michael Chang soon after he decided to retire from professional tennis in a pro-am. Pepper asked Chang when he knew it was time to give it up. He replied, when he was spending more time rehabbing and trying just to be able to play again, instead of spending more time practicing to get better. That's exactly the point Tiger is at with his body and professional golfing career. If he can't play and practice, he'll never return to be the type of golfer he wants to be. 
the question then becomes for Tiger Woods, Woods, is it all worth it? I, oh, I don't know what to say, man. This is, I'm at a loss of words because I would love for him to be back playing and playing at a good level that he can compete uh, with the guys that are right now on the top. But, oh, man, it's getting really, really tough. And a little bit later, I'm going to talk about Patrick Cantley, and I'm going to make a comment on the comparison of what's going on. But, man, it's so difficult. And like you said, it's uh, it's really painful to see him going through this. I cannot imagine how hard it must be for him. But he should be starting to consider, you know, <laughs> that Tiger Woods 2.0 that we have been talking about. Hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about the European Tour. I love what they're doing, all this innovation thing that Keith Pell is bringing there. And uh, I'm closely following anything that happens with them. And right now they unveiled what is called the Golf Sixes event, which will be seen 16 countries represented in teams of two in knockout matches over six holes at Centurion Club near London, there in England. The European Tour has unveiled at New Sixes for the 7th, 6th to the 7th of May at that Centurion Club. That is located in St. Albans, which is near London. It means England will now host the European Tour three times in 2017 with the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth in May and the British Masters at Close House at the end of September, start of October. That Golf Sixes will see 16 countries represented, and that over those six holes, the price one will be one million one million euros. All players will be wearing microphones, and there will be music and fireworks on the first tee as part of European Tour Chief Executive uh, Keith Pelly's plans to modernize golf and make it more appealing to the millennials. Pelly said that there is no question that the greatest atmosphere in golf comes every two years at the Ryder Cup and they are keen to try and emulate that national fervor in this format. The opening day is devoted to the Champions League-style group matches where, like football, teams will be awarded three points for a win, one point for a draw, and zero points for a loss before the final day of knockout golf from the last 16 matches all the way to the final. Players are guaranteed 15,000 euros, while the winning pair will walk away with 100,000 euros each. The format is green sums, where both players hit tee shots before playing alternate shot from the best drive. The leading European tour player from each country who is available will pick their partner. Keith Pelly said also that golf needs to modernize and introduce introducing innovative new formats is a major part of achieving that aim. He encouraged anyone and everyone, whether they are a golf fan or not, to come along at the Centurion Club in May and immerse themselves in an occasion which he says will be unlike anything else they have experienced on a golf course before. It's the latest a new idea from the European Tour which has seen the world's Super Six birth, which takes place this week, as well as the 2017's Rolex Series, seven events with inflated persons. Fred, this golf six does come just days before the Players' Championship at the TPC Sawgrass, which is golf's unofficial fifth major. So some of the tour leading players may not compete, but, hey, it's being put out there. It's the first year to try out, and if the players eventually gets moved, hey, they will have a prime slot 
with this tournament in that in, at that time. Yeah, I can't see the top names uh, passing up the players to play in that. Um, we'll see. I'll be surprised if they do. Well, what they do is if they guarantee them a big um, a big appearance for you to play in it. But uh, the players is too prestigious. The the chance to win that, you know, the big check, and I mean, it's like you said, it's kind of like the fifth major. So um, I just don't see uh, guys uh, not playing at the players, Carlos. No, I do get it. I'm just saying it's throwing it out there, and it's the first time. Yeah. And if the players, like it's been said, is going to be moved, hey, you, they are going to have the first call at that at that time there. You know, any other time that would come back afterwards, better have some very good, uh, attractive uh, purses or anything to, you know, to distract those big players to be playing there in the European Tour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were you going to talk about Jordan Spieth now, or do you want me to go on with? No, no. Uh, now is your turn for the next one. Then after my... Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some Ryder Cup news. Um, evidently, the way the Ryder Cup task force picked the players for the 2016 winning U.S. team was not good enough for Team USA captain Jim Furyk. He announced changes to the format for qualification criteria on how the team will be chosen. The final pick will be made after the BMW Championship in 2018 instead of that last-minute decision before the Americans leave for Paris. You know, that probably makes sense. Making three or four players scramble at the last minute to fill the 12th spot seems a bit too much. It was, as we evidenced by Ryan Moore last year, the uh, U.S. point system will stay relatively unchanged. Furyk felt it worked well in 2016 at Hazel Team last year. Uh, there is one big difference. The majors will count double in 2018, but only for the winner. Everyone else will receive the standard of one and a half points. The majors have such big purses, finishing third in a major would be equal to winning a tour event when, if points were doubled. And that lessens the importance of winning a regular tour event. So that, that seems to make sense. In other Ryder Cup news, there's a problem with the 2020 Ryder Cup to be held in Rome. Uh, the Italian Senate recently removed the guaranteed $103 million in funding Rome needed to host the biennial event. It means the organizers are going to have to find the money someplace else. The Ryder Cup is and remains a great opportunity for the country. Andrea Marcucci, the president of the Senate Culture and Sport Committee, said the decision is technical. It's not about the content of the amendment. I hope the government quickly finds a solution which responds to the prerequisites asked for by the organizers. I want to remind everyone that the tournament was a considerable economic spinoff and television rights the amendment in question didn't call for further public spending. This is true. The event does bring in heaps of money. It can have a huge economic impact. And it appears at the outside, outset anyway that there's much better use of the money than, say, an Olympics or other international event that requires far more money up front. So a spokesman for the Ryder Cup said... They were considering this case. We are in regular communication with the Italian Golf Federation 
and we have been since December 14, 2015, the day Italy was awarded the honor of hosting the 2022 Ryder Cup, and we continue to be so. Rome was awarded the event over Austria, Berlin, Germany, and called as the Malavella in Spain. So, Carlos, we got problems with the 2022 Olympic golf course in Japan. I'm sorry, with the 2020 Olympic golf course in Japan, and we have uncertainty about the Ryder Cup in Rome in 2022. What in the wide, wild world of sports is it going on here? That's so far away. We didn't even think about that right now. <laughs> It'll be here before you know it, man. Well, and the same thing happened in Rio, and, you know, and every every time there's like, oh, man, this major issues, nothing's going to move, there's so, <laughs> so many problems. Then what happens? We play with the, the golf. We play the game. We play it there. I, I, that's so far out, I, I wouldn't even consider it a problem. But anyway. What's a mere, what's a mere 103 million among friends? You know, it's yeah. just pocket. That's that's not. Yeah. Hey, you know, Steve DiMeglio, he reports from Pebble Beach and Jordan Spieth lashing out at obscenity dropping insult hurling autograph hounds as kids were around them. You know, the incident described by DiMeglio also allowed Spieth to air some grievance shared by most golfers through the years related to adult autograph hounds. I am going to quote Spieth. And he said, and I quote, I am not appreciative of people who travel to benefit off other people's success. I enjoy signing and signing and signing for kids whenever we get a chance. And when these guys have these items that you've already seen online and people, our team keeps track of that kind of stuff. And these guys that just have bags of stuff to benefit from other people's success when they didn't do anything themselves. Go get a job instead of trying to make money off the stuff that we have been able to do. We like to sign up stuff for charity, stuff for kids, and if you ask anybody universally, it is the same way, end of quote. But, you know, we're, we're really, truly fair and balanced. So we're going to give you the quote from the scum that really got the Jordan Speed upset. And he said, and I quote, you know, when you see guys that follow you around the entire round, you're saying afterwards, we're huge fans. A lot of people did follow the entire round. So I just want to make sure uh, that, uh, that they signed it for me uh, if I didn't get them out on the course, end of quote. But to that, Speed said, well, I was just a little frustrated at the end, and I didn't appreciate the language that was used, and just some scums that just, uh, it just bothered me, end of quote. Ah, the Farmers Insurance opened this year. There was a special kids-only signing area that most players went to, though a surprising number didn't understand. It was only for the little guys and gals and skipped it. But, Fred, you know, it's something that more tournaments should be doing, if nothing else, so that the kids have to rub elbows with the scums, you know, and they have this area for them. But I really feel for what Jordan was saying, and I, I understand this, uh, it's these people that get there and then they get the autographs and now with the whole social media stuff, they just try to earn their money this way off of uh, the famous people. It's, it's something that I really have not understand why it happens. It should be controlled. And, you know, then if, if the pros don't do it, 
Oh, they're just antisocial. Uh, they're not that good for people. No, man. No, man. This this has to end. At least if you're going to go for for an autograph, hey, stop the the, the the foul language. Go about your business, you know, do your lines and just go about it. Well, you know, I applaud Speed for speaking out against these uh, professional autograph hunters at uh, sporting events. I mean, you can see these guys at every golf tournament and, and other professional sporting events as well with bags full of merchandise to get the pros to sign and then resell it on eBay. It, I mean, it really is sickening. I, I have never gotten this whole autograph thing in the first place, and I've never bought a signed souvenir for my kids or grandkids. If they want it, they can get it themselves from, from the real deal. Plus, these guys can be rude, pushy, and they keep, you know, genuine children or, you know, guys, young kids that want to see their, uh, you know, their, their hero up close and personal. They, they keep them away from getting their treasure signed. It would be nice if tournament officials could police this activity, but the autograph hounds would probably just pay some kid to go in there and get the signatures for them. So, you know, I don't know how they how they would police it. Actually, it would be very difficult. Like you see, have a like you say, have a special uh, kids only signing area. Uh, that would probably be good. They could rope something off there. Um, but it's it's a problem, you know, at, at every event. I I just I don't get you know and and. I've been in restaurants or been different places where, where an athlete was or a celebrity was, and people want to go up and bother them while they're eating dinner and get autographs or their picture taken. Please, you know, I, you know, I just don't get it. I don't get the attraction. So can't you just say you were in a restaurant where so-and-so was? Does it make it better than I got my picture taken with that person? Big deal. Don't get it, Carlos. I'm sorry. I don't get the whole thing. Me neither. I, I second that. Me neither. <laughs> well, hey, that, that's, that's the way the world goes. Hey, you have okay. some more news for us. I do. Um, you know, we got uh, to have our weekly. We got to have a weekly Tiger segment, and we got to have a weekly President Trump segment. So this is the, this is the Trump segment. Uh, my good friend, uh, Stacey Solomon, reported on her Golf for Beginners blog that President Trump played a round of golf with a group that included Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, at his Mar-a-Lago course. It just so happened that the president invited a ringer to the party, namely Ernie Els. Trump used his golfer business, and this event was no exception, as he wanted to get to know the Japanese prime minister a little bit better. And he felt he could do that better on the golf course than simply over a business lunch. It was a quick trip for Els to make to the first tee with the president. He lives near Trump National, and his Ells for Autism School is, is housed in nearby Jupiter. The president said on Twitter, played golf today with Prime Minister Abe of Japan and at the Big Easy, Ernie Ells, had a great time. Japan is very well represented. Aside from the obvious fun factor of playing golf on a great course, Trump used the time to, like a four-hour business meeting, on some of the greenest fairways in the country. Trump also made golf news last week as he apologized to Bernard Liner for his misuse of a quote attributed to the two-time Masters champion. Liner reported in a story run by USA Today, we talked on the phone, we met Liner and Trump, and he was very clear, if there was anything that hurt me, he apologized. 
longer said at a press conference at the Allianz. And I apologize, too, for some of the quotes that were incorrect and were on good terms. It was fun talking to him briefly, and I thought that's a great gesture from him because he's got a lot of other things to be concerned about, not just this golfer, Bernard Langer. He's got four more important things to do, but for him to take the time, talk to me for a brief while, and clear things up, pretty amazing. And that's our Donald Trump golf news item for the week, Carlos. You know, we, we cannot live without having either Donald or Tiger being spoken of. And this week, we got you double to double the three. We got Tiger, we got Donald. <laughs> How can our show be better after that? Hey, after holding the number one world amateur ranking longer than anyone, Patrick Cantley, whereabouts has prompted regular inquiries from fans hopeful for a return. While not on the Anthony Kim level of intrigue, Cantley's return to the PG Tour action is very welcome. The former UCLA star's back injury and understandable struggles with sadness over the death of his close friend and caddy Chris Roth is detailed in a moving piece by the OC Register Stadium Dutour. He said that uh, Cantley hanging out with friends was one of the things that gave him solace after a sore back forced him to put his promising pro golf career on hold in May of 2013. And if anyone could cheer up, Cantley was his caddy and long-term Chris Rock. They had been practically inseparable since they were members of the Servite Varsity Golf Team. It was around 1 a.m. on a February night a year ago when the two friends decided they would walk to Woodis Wharf in Newport Beach. Cantley was still dealing with the latest diagnosis from his doctor. After dominating as an amateur, Cantley was number one player in the world amateur golf ranking for a record 55 weeks. He finally seemed poised to start cashing in on the PGA Tour when the back injury struck. For three years, he struggled to return to the sport full-time, but he had just received devastating news. That stress fracture in his lower back wasn't healing, and he couldn't touch a club, not even a putter, for at least 10 months. But that was just the beginning of the nightmare. Roth was walking about 10 feet ahead of Cantley as they got to the intersection of the Newport Boulevard and 30th Street. As Roth was starting to crawl across the street, a hit-and-run driver smashed into him, sending him flying through the air to the other side of the intersection. Cantley then rushed his friend, dialing 911 on the way, but when he got to his caddy, blood was everywhere. And even though Roth's heart was still beating, Cantley knew that his friend wasn't there anymore. Later that night, Roth was pronounced dead at the Orange County Global Medical Center in Santa Ana. He was 24. At the time, Cantley was getting ready to ring rolling college, but long, not long after Roth said he had to start picking his classes. He said he just didn't have it in him to do it. There were times that his father, Steve, said, when his son started uh, to explore some other opportunities outside of golf. He was just guessing, getting any better despite all the time he was taking off. But in the last year, Steve Cantley said that Patrick has committed to being a golfer again. Lucene Roth, the young lady Cantley, is said as partly responsible for the change in attitude. And last Thursday, when he stepped on the course to begin the AT&T Pebble Beach program, the first PGA Tour event that his aching back has allowed him to play since November 2014. Cantley started competing with a new purpose. 
He played fairly even as he finished T48 with rounds of 70, 71, 71, and 72. But Cantley, even though he said he's not sure when he will make his next PGA Tour appearance, uh, he will reassess things after Pebble, one of the 10 starts he has remaining on his major medical exemption this year. Fred Cantley was a player that we were high on him as he was coming out into the pro ranks. Unfortunately, uh, that stress uh, fracture and his lower back has prevented him from really fulfilling a great, once-promising career. And even though this is not the same injury that uh, Tiger Woods has or he had in the past, uh, you know, Cantley's young. He's just a 24-year-old. And look at how long it has taken to get back to become a golfer. How hard it must be for Tiger, who's 41 years old, and now with recurring, recurring, recurring uh, back problems, and we've seen other golfers go through these things, it's definitely not a good sign that Tiger's trying to return so quick. I think that this is something that will take more time than than he says. Just take a look at Cantley. A young guy with a great, uh, great uh, career ahead of him, and now hopefully we can see him come back and start fulfilling that once promising career for him. Yeah, you make a really good point about Tiger there. You know the difference in age and uh, how tough it is to rehab and come back, and then when you get older, how much more difficult it is. And you know, talking about Canley, I mean, we, it just seems like you know, not that long ago we were talking about him. He had such a great summer as an amateur. I mean, you know, he turned down all that money. He would have won like $750,000 in what, like five or six events or something like that. Uh, He would have earned, you know, he made enough money to earn a tour card if he had turned pro. Um, And then, you know, when he did turn pro, he came out one right away on the web.com, jumped right up to the big tour, um, just, you know, and then the back thing just, you know, wouldn't let him play. So, um, you know, life has a way of getting in the road sometimes, Carlos. And you know what? If he's able to get healthy and come back, this may make him uh, much more, um, what I want to say, more focused and make him a better competitor. Uh, mm-hmm. And if his body will let him, uh, he may win. I mean, he may come back, may be better than he was before because he'll, he'll, he'll appreciate a lot more, you suppose. I think I think he now is a bit more mature. I mean, he's still a young guy, but I think that what he, they were saying is that he has now this different focus that he's like uh, playing for something and with a purpose in his life for now, and he sees things in a different way. And uh, maybe, you know, he didn't play that bad. He went 70, 71, 71, 72, which for being out for three years, that is major. I mean, he didn't miss the cut. He played well, uh, fairly even. I, I, like you say, if he can keep his uh, health to a great point, I, I, I don't see why not. He cannot be. He shot. Uh, did he post a, Did he post a sixty-two or something like that in one of the, uh, like in Connecticut or someplace? Um, yes, in one of the uh, web.com tour. Uh, yeah. I think it was, yeah. 62. I think it was on a, on a PGA Tour event, didn't he? PGA Tour? Uh, I don't yeah, remember. I, think I, know, I know he did. I just don't remember which was the the, the tournament exactly. When he was still an amateur. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was something that summer, man. He was on. He was he was unbelievable. Well, he, he was still I playing well the next year when he turned pro. He should have 60? 60, which is the lowest PGA Tour round ever by the, by an amateur. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it was something really good. He was a 60. He was uh, and that was at the Travelers uh the Travelers Championship in uh, yeah. 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it was up there someplace. Yeah, cool. So there, with that, we'll wrap up our weekend, uh, our part five news. We're going to take one more short break. When we come back, we have the practice range. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the practice range for every week. Fred and I pick a topic, and each of us take our own shots at it, but this week... We're going to combine it with our BIG, very important guest of the week, who's Jim Nugent. And we're going to be talking about philanthropy in golf. First, Fred had an interview with Jim, and uh, we're going to play that before. So, Fred, if you can set up this interview for us. Yeah, um, not this Monday, but the Monday uh, before. So that would have been uh, February the 4th. Uh, in last week's Global Golf Post, uh, Jim published an article uh, about the importance of philanthropy in golf and it amounts to uh, $3.9 billion a year uh, just from golf. And uh, he made some really good points. We all know about the PGA Tour and the LPGA and what they do. But, you know, every local golf course has outings every weekend that generate money for some charity or, or to benefit someone who needs the help. And uh, when you add all this up, the numbers are just staggering. And I thought Jim did a great job on a piece, and I, I gave him a call and said, hey, let's talk about this a little bit on the radio show. So uh, that's what we did. We are extremely happy to have Jim Nugent, the publisher of Global Golf Post, on Back Nine Report once again. Jim, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us today. Fred, thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Last week, you authored a piece in Global Golf Post that charity is kind of the centerpiece of the U.S. golf industry. The piece centered around, you know, all the things that are done, not necessarily on the PGA Tour, which we all know about, but off the tour, just in your local communities or in outings or events that are held. You want to talk about that just a little bit? Well, during the PGA show, uh, an entity called Golf 2020, which is a consortium of all of the leading players uh, and segments of the golf industry, uh, put out a press release that talked about the impact of charitable giving from the game of golf. And in it, there was a statement that uh, your listeners will probably find very startling. Uh, the game of golf contributes more to charity than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. 
And, and I found that to be rather startling and decided to do some digging into it and uh, write about it in Global Golf Post. Yeah, I, I did find it very enlightening. I, I mean, I knew some of these numbers, but when you put them together the way you did, they're, they're very good. So let's just talk about that a little bit. You're talking about $3.9 billion generated for charity from golf. Every year you've got almost 13,000 facilities, which is about 84 85% of the total number of golf courses in the country that are involved with some kind of charitable outing or event. 143,000 events with over 12 million participants. There's only 20 million golfers in the country. So, again, it's a high percentage that, that, that helps these things out. And then almost 26,000 was raised on average from each one of these events. So that's amazing to me, Jim, these, these kind of numbers. They're staggering. Uh, you know, your listeners have, have heard and seen the commercials, just as you and I have for the PGA Tour. These guys are good, and, and they talk about the charitable giving. And to be sure, the PGA Tour uh, leads uh, the way in terms of probably the amount of money it raises for charity. Uh, but they're not alone. And, and just in, in your backyard in, in Toledo, for example, you've got an LPGA event, the marathon, that's raised significant sums of money, most of which I imagine goes to local charities. Uh, so the work done by the tours, work done by the players, uh, is very important. But you know, even just a, 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 on a local basis, on any given day during the year, there's a hospital or a cancer uh, uh, operation or the National Kidney Foundation conducting an outing at a golf course, raising, as you say, on average $26,000 uh, in that day. You add it all up, and it approaches $4 billion. It's really, really impressive. And unfortunately, our game just doesn't get the credit it deserves for all the, the good that it does in our society today. Uh, you mentioned the Marathon Classic here in Toledo. Last year it raised almost $550,000. They're close to uh, $10 million for the 31 years that the tournament has been around. And that goes to over 20 children's charities here in northwest Ohio. Uh, and the Marathon Classic has been a, a big factor in, in boosting that number. And then the Solheim Cup is going to come here in a few years, and that's even going to be a tremendous boost for, for, the, for the local charities. You mentioned in your article a little bit about the Liberty Mutual Invitational Program. You want to expound on that and, and how that has helped and what that does to generate funds? So there are these two uh, uh, businessmen, uh, Lauren Shapiro and Skip Jenkins up in Massachusetts, who years ago came up with the idea of uh, running uh, uh, a series of charitable golf tournaments uh, with a, uh, a corporate parent or corporate sponsor at the title and then getting lots of other uh, sponsors involved. And at one time, uh, they had uh, Cadillac involved before the uh, financial crisis, and, and they were running these tournaments all over the country. Um, and, and the beauty for Cadillac was that not only were they doing good, uh, they were doing good for their dealers because the, the local dealer would, would provide the volunteers and lots of support, but out of it they would get test drives and they would sell cars. Uh, eventually the program morphed into something different. It's now called the Liberty Mutual Invitational, but the same premise exists going into a market like Toledo, for example, creating a one-day uh, fundraising effort that uh, Liberty Mutual leads, 
but having a, a number of other sponsors, national and local, raising money, distributing that money to local charities, much like the, the Maritime Classic does. This tournament series this year will touch somewhere in the vicinity of 12,000 golfers. And over the life of this series, it has uh, raised $220 million. Uh, Shapiro and Jenkins are arguably the most prolific fundraisers that the game of golf has ever seen. Let's not forget about the hours of time that individual PGA and LPGA Tour players donate to their own personal charities and foundations every year. Uh, Morgan Pressel has a foundation, I think, that's raised, what, over 6 or $7 million for, for breast cancer. Uh, you know, and pretty much every uh, golfer has some kind of foundation that does charitable giving and charitable work from the funds that they earn every year uh, from their sponsorships and from prize money. So, I mean, these numbers are just off the charts. And so to kind of wrap up here, Jim, golf is widely considered to be more of an elitist sport, and, and it takes hits from various media about country club snobbery, but golf as a whole generates a lot of dollars for charity. You know, over the years, golf has kind of become an easy target for critics, uh, for its elitism, for its environmental practices, for whatever reason. Uh, but those same critics uh, tend to look the other way when you talk about the, the good that golf does, the, the amount of money that's being raised to address uh, needs, real needs in our, our society today. And, and that's, I just wanted to call that out and remind people that uh, as golfers, we should be very proud of what our game is doing to uh, give back and to help uh, those in need and, and, and diseases uh, throughout America. Well, Jim, I thought it was an actually written piece. Uh, really got my attention when I looked through it. And so, again, thanks so much for taking a minute and coming on and talk to us about it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it very much, bud. Carlos, you back? Yes, I am here. Okay. <laughs> I thought I, yes, I'm here. Okay. No, no. I, I was just thinking about the, the that same point. You know, I, that startling um, point that the PGA Tour has contributed more than the NBA and the NFL and MLB combined. Uh, and I was just wanted to follow up with the point that you were saying that it's some. People would consider golf to be an elitist uh, sport. Yeah, I would say that maybe that has to be some of the reason why. I mean, most of the people that play golf uh, are on the top echelon of the economic uh, tiers, you know, so they have more money to spend and all that. But still, even though you're there, you still have to give it. It's not like you are making them putting a, a gun to the head and you have to contribute to it. And one of those uh, things that I would tell you is that, like, uh, back in Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rico Open is in its 10th year right now, this uh, this year. And uh, it has contributed to the local economy in those 10 years, $100 million to the economy. Of those, 2.5 have gone to charity in a small 100 by 35 mile island. Okay, so you can imagine if you extrapolate that to the whole U.S. and the whole of the rest of the world, those numbers that GMART is bringing to you, 
they're not they're not far fetched. It's totally true. But it's like he says, it's something startling that you unless you you see it, then you don't believe it, and it's true. Now he brings it up, and then you start digging into it, and wow, yeah, it's it's a huge huge deal. Carlos, I'm going to argue with you here for a minute. Um, you know, you you made the point that well, you know, maybe golf golf does have a higher average per capita income. Um, people work, they have disposable income, that's how they're able to play golf because it's expensive to play. However, last year, of the $3.9 billion that was raised for charity, the PGA Tour only contributed about $166 million of that. I, I, say, I say only. I mean, they contributed $166 million of that. So that's a relatively small percentage. Uh, the LPGA Tour, um, you know, it's, it's much less than that, but, you know, it's still a nice number. So uh, of, the, of the LPGA and the PGA Tour, it's somewhere a little over north of $200 million combined, but we're talking about $3.9 billion. So I'm going to talk here about Toledo a little bit, and what I see, we've got 20, over 20 public golf courses within about a 40-mile radius here. Uh, and you drive an hour in any direction, and you can run across four or five. Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of public golf courses, and they're all having outings for a charity, for a benefit, for something. And um, the players that are playing at these public golf courses are not the $150,000 a year uh, white-collar jobs. These are the guys that work at Jeep, they work at Chrysler, they work at Owens Corning, they, you know, they work at the car uh, dealership, they work in the body shop, they, you know, we're talking about blue-collar guys here, okay? They like to drink a few beers, they like to play a little golf, and they're happy to spend 100 bucks to play in an outing, you know, to benefit somebody that they know that is in need, that needs some help whether it's a hospital, whether it's an individual, a family, whatever. So, Carlos, of that $3.9 million every year that's donated from charity, I'm going to say that 70% of it comes from average guys, okay? And so the idea that golf is an elitist sport, if you're a country club guy, you know, you get kind of full of yourself and, you know, you want to be behind the, the gates and the closed doors and you don't want to let all the riffraff in, you know. But but still, a lot of this money comes from average Joe golfer. Uh, and I think that is just a, a phenomenal thing. Um, you know, the, the PGA Tour has given a total of $2.46 billion uh, since they started keeping the account. Uh, with the 1938 Palm Beach Invitational. Um, $1.4 billion has come since the tour surpassed the billion plateau in 2005. I remember when they were doing it. it that's, been, that's been 12 years ago, 11 and a half years. That's amazing. That seems like it was yesterday. Um, the 2016 Players' Championship alone generated $8.5 million last year. That, that is just unbelievable. Um, now, you can argue on the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, that the economics of using volunteers to, as hole marshals and all the things that need to be done to run a golf tournament, you know, most events would not be able to be held if it were not for these volunteers 
that provide all the support for the event. But the amount of charitable donations that is realized in each one of those tournament cities is a grand reward for the volunteers' time and efforts. And here in Toledo, the volunteers that go, they're proud of the fact that that 500 and some thousand dollars that's donated to 20-some area charities every year, they donated their time for that money to be donated to those charities. That is why they do it. Yeah, they get to rub elbows with the, with the best women golfers for a week, and yeah, it becomes kind of a, a party atmosphere and like a family home week. They all go back and do their same, same thing every, every year. But they do it for – I've interviewed these people. I've done stories on it, and they all talk about that they feel this is how they help give back to their community. So, uh, you know, Carlos, I, I, I'm just uh, this whole thing. It just it struck a, a chord with me when when Jim had that article. Um, charitable giving is unique to the game of golf. The mass media that doesn't pick up on this single fact is missing a great story. It's a story that Jim Nugent illustrated so well in his piece in the February fourth Global Golf Force. So, Carlos, that's, that's what I had to say about it. I feel very strongly about it. I, I think this is a wonderful part of our sport, uh, and we don't give it enough due, and uh, I'm glad we took a few minutes to do it tonight. Well, I, I agree in, to some degree. Yes, I no, of course. It's incredible the, the way that golf gives. That's, that's no comparison. I mean, But then, going back to the point that, that you are disagreeing with me, I, I still say, you know, when you have about 14%, 4.5%, I think, is of the Americans that are living under the, under the poverty line, okay, uh, and you see that the demographics of the people that play baseball, that play football, or that play basketball is not the same that the ones that play golf. Because to play golf, yeah. you really you don't have to be rich, but you cannot be uh, a, a, on the poverty line or just above it. Right. You know, so you, right. you have to have some sort of income that you can, like you said, disposable income to play, and that way, at the same time, to give it away. So it's not like that's the that's why still golf is perceived as elitist, and like you say, yes, it's wrong from the media that is not from the mass media that is not covering it. But the thing is that golf is still not a mass sport, like football, like uh, like baseball, like basketball. That's that's the thing, and that's why the media doesn't capture it. Is, it. is it right? No, it's not right. They should do it because this is an incredible thing that is done. And now seeing the – and I, was, I wasn't saying that the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour – were the only ones contributing to it. I know that there's a, a bigger spectrum of that. But in the big macro of the things of the people that are contributing, when you see the demographics of who are playing those other sports, yeah, that's why I say that they are still considered, golf is considered still an elitist sport. That, that was just my point. Gotcha. All right. Well, with that, we wrap up our practice range. We're going to take our final short break. When we come back, we'll have the final thoughts. Don't go away.
for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraft Sports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraft Sports. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for our final pods. And I'm seriously, I'm going to tee it off on this one. I'm going to start talking about where Olympic golf goes. Controversy seems to follow. What is going on? I mean, the Kasumigaseki Country Club, slated to host the 2020 Olympic golf competition, failed to reach a decision to alter the club's policy of restricting women from becoming full members. That was according to a Reuters report. The vote to change the club's policy was postponed after it failed to gain the unanimous support of its 15-member board, which could cost Kasumi Gaseki the opportunity to host the competition. The club allows females to become members, but they are not permitted to play on Sundays and certain holidays. Tokyo's first female city governor issued a public statement last month asking for the club to allow female members with no restrictions. But according to Kasumi Gaseki board chairman Kichi Kimura, the controversy is a head-scratching annoyance to the club. What's going on, people? Don't you understand this? That's what they say. There has been a movement to relocate the Olympic golf to the public Wakasu golf links, but it's unclear how viable that option is to the world's most famous clubs, which is Augusta National and the Rajal Nation Golf Club at St. Andrews have voted to allow female members in recent years. So we'll keep an eye on that. But, hey, there will be golf in the 2020. Now, after that, we don't know. Uh, a group of Brazilian businessmen have stepped in to assure that at least a short-term viability of the Olympic golf course in Rio, according to the president of the International Golf Federation. Uh, things are looking a little better. There's a group of people that have come together to have a relationship with the landowner there, and they've re-engaged enough of the green staff to keep the maintenance going. They have been, the green staff are now being paid which they weren't, so that that's a good thing. Multi-media, multiple media reports following last year, as you might remember, uh, after last year's Games in Rio painted a dire picture of the course. The funding from Disney Group has given Brazilian Golf Federation, which now owns the layout, time to develop a long-term plan to keep the course open. That's good news with that great-looking golf course there. And finally, Kevin Hall is the 2017 recipient of the Genesis Open's Charlie Sifford Memorial Exemption will, which, and will make his first PGA Tour start since 2006 next week, this week at Riviera. Uh, named after Sifford last month, the tournament exemption has been awarded since 2009 and is focused on representing the advancement of diversity in the game of golf. Past recipients uh, include Harold Varner, Carl Sainz, and J.G. Spawn. Uh, the incredible thing about Hall is that he's 34 years old, but he lost his hearing at age two because age flu meningitis. Uh, a top-ranked junior player, Hall was the first ever African-American to play on a golf scholarship at Ohio State and now plays yeah. professionally <laughs> on the Swing Thought Pro Golf Tour and advocates for a golf tour. Home is first, uh, the tournament host Tiger Woods at a clinic in 1999, and he was also selected by the Woods Foundation to receive an exemption into the 1999 Junior World Cup Championship. So take a look at Kevin Hall. Incredible story, friend. Yeah, that is a good story. Plus, you know, from Ohio, go Bucks. you got to love that. <laughs> hey, um, 
Jack Nicholas is going to get the full treatment on Golf Channel. Um, Sunday night following the Masters, Golf Channel will air a three-part biopic on the Golden Bear. It will play over three consecutive nights in prime time beginning Sunday, April 9th at 9 p.m. Following Golf Central Live from the Masters, the film presented by Nationwide will feature limited commercial interruption. You know, Golf Channel receives such critical acclaim for its Arnie three-part series that they're doing one now on Jack. I just wonder, will Gary Player and Tiger Woods be next on the list? Um, and, Carlos, to uh, to kind of wrap up the show tonight, um, PGA Club Director of Agronomy, Dick Gray, was named the 2016 Turfnet Superintendent of the Year at the Golf Industry Show in Orlando uh, last week. You know, one of the first things that Ted Bishop accomplished when he became the president of the PGA of America was to lure his old buddy Dick Gray back into the superintendent business to restore PGA Golf Club to prominence. The three courses at PGA Golf Club in Port St. Lucie were in disarray, and PGA professionals and members were going anywhere else to play. Gray has spent a lifetime making good courses great. And despite his rough exterior, he has a unique approach to personnel management in an industry known for chewing up and spitting out the personal lives of those who work in it. For his years of dedication and lasting impact on golf courses from his native Indiana to Florida and a stop or two in between, Gray was named the winner of the Superintendent of the Year Award. Dick was chosen from an original field of 228 nominees and then from six finalists. It just so happens I had the chance to talk with Dick a couple of weeks ago when I was at PGA Golf Club down in Port St. Lucie, and we take this interview. So it's real short. We talk about the renovations there at the PGA Village and where they've come in the four years that he's been there, Carlos. We are here at PGA Village in Port St. Lucie, and we are happy to have Dick Gray, the superintendent of PGA Villages. There's three courses here. Uh, talking with us today, and, and we're going to talk just a little bit about the renovation that's been done to the die course, and Dick, I understand you did quite a bit of work to that and uh, try to bring it back to what Pete Dye originally envisioned there. Widen the greens out to the original green whale so that uh, they, they, they are much bigger, the putting surface much bigger. They had encroached, grown in probably four or five foot on each side, so it was made a big, big change. A lot of different pin placements now than what folks have been used to playing. The ball rolls out a lot better because obviously when we take it back to what Pete wanted, it was all about getting the water off the green and drainage. And of course, the ball follows the drainage, so it's uh, there's some exciting putts out there. Tees and fairways, you did some work too also? We redid the fairways. We regrassed those to celebration. Did a little drainage that we had to do around them. We refaced all the bunkers. Uh, new sand. The tees were okay. All we did to the tees was just a little bit of verti cutting and, and getting them back. And so, uh, actually, mow the tees about the same height as mow the greens now. They're past paling, but they're they're really good. Now I know you've done some work too on uh, on the Watermaker course. I played it yesterday, and I got to tell you, I was here you know right after you came about four years ago. And the course uh, needed work, and boy, I'll tell you what, you've got her done. Uh, really in good shape now. Well, we got a good team over there also. Really are blessed because we've got good teams on each of these courses. And the Wanamaker, we did uh, we did the fairways at Celebration uh, Bermuda. 
got Tiff Grand on the tees and green surrounds, and it plays well. We, we cut it down a little lower than, than what it was when I first came here, but it turned out to be a pretty good project, and we refaced a lot of the bunkers last summer on the Wanamaker also. So it plays pretty good, and we try to keep the greens at terminal velocity every day. That's kind of one of our mantras is tournament speed every day and tournament conditions every day. So the Wanamaker might be our best course. If uh, guys from up north are looking to come down to play a, a all-encompassing facility, PJ Villages has it all. They have the Die Course, which is as good a course as you'll play anywhere. Wanamaker, Ryder Cup, and also the uh, St. Lucie Trail. Uh, I understand is a pretty nice golf course in itself, also. Yeah, that's one of Jim Fazio's golf courses, and it's about 28 years old. It's a standalone, very, very good golf course. We got a great team over there. Uh, they've really got that thing brought back, and it's it's in great shape. Uh, we get a lot of compliments on the on the green speed, so it's turned out really well. We got a good team over there. Well, Dick, again, thanks so much for talking to us. We always uh, appreciate the opportunity to get to come back here, and always enjoy it. Thank you much. There you, you have it. That was Dick Gray. Okay, yes, Fred, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, Carlos, that some say that only Jack Nicholas has made a larger impact on the golf industry on Florida's Treasure Coast and Palm Beaches than Dick Gray. He's been at all the top courses in that area down there, and there are some really good ones. At the age of 73, he still has an edge that is reminiscent of an athlete with a chip on his shoulder. Seven days a week, he's out there at the golf course. You know, I've been able to witness firsthand his work over the last four years. What he has accomplished at PGA Golf Club is outstanding in every way. I just want to, you know, we at Back Down Report want to add our congratulations to winning this prestigious award. Uh, so, you know, we get really happy for Dick. I, I enjoy talking to him. And this is the second or third time I've had a chance to talk to him, and, and uh, really, uh, really a, a good guy and really knows his stuff, Carlos. Most definitely. Our congratulations, like you said, go out to him. Well, Back Niners, that will wrap up another week of the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIGs, the very important guest of the week, Jim Nugent, the, the publisher of the Global Golf Post, and Dick Gray, the superintendent of the PGA Village course. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio, or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back9 Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.